It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on Talent Talk. Uh, this is our first show of 2017, so we're excited to be back uh, into the new year. And hopefully 2017 will be fantastic and maybe not quite as depressing in some of the other areas that 2016 seemed to have <laughs> taken a few of the few of our best and brightest from us, but uh, we'll, we'll move on. So, uh, you know, I had the privilege of meeting a, a lot of just fantastic people at different events and different groups that I'm in or through LinkedIn, uh, or through personal referrals. And so uh, instead of me having only be the only person to kind of maybe have a call and listen on what this person, um, great wisdom they may have to share, really design this show to give everyone the opportunity to listen in on our, our conversation and hopefully give you something that you can use it, you know, down the road uh, in your own life and work, uh, wherever it may be. So Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, and you can uh, you know, really access it after the fact. Most of you actually come in after the live show and grab us on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Uh, over 600,000 of you came in uh, last week and downloaded a podcast of some sort from one of the different platforms. So big thank you to everyone who's jumping in, following, sharing, commenting. We really appreciate it. Speaking of, of commenting and sharing, if you have a question for one of my guests today, love for you to submit it on Twitter. Uh, if you can, live, great. But if you're listening after the fact, you can still do it then when the conversation seems to never end. So uh, go ahead and go to Twitter and pop in your question. If you got room, add the at PeopleG2. But definitely get the hashtag to make sure we see it so we can try to keep the conversation going. Uh, for that conversation, I have two great guests with me today. They will include, first we'll have uh, Michael Johnson on from the, he's the managing partner of the uh, HR division for the Lucas Group. And then uh, after the commercial break, we'll bring in uh, Jeff Parsons, the uh, president and CEO of Parsons and Associates. So go ahead and get to my first guest, uh, Michael Johnson. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great for the rainy Tuesday here, which is an <laughs> uncommon thing in Southern California. Unusual, uh, yeah. I've almost ripped people's heads off for saying, I wish it would stop raining. I'm like, no, 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 let's just keep it raining for as long as possible because <laughs> I'm tired of taking two-minute showers to try to help with the drought. So, hey, tell us all a little bit about yourself and what your company does at uh, the Lucas Group. Sure. So I've been with the Lucas Group, as you said. I'm the managing partner for our human resources search division, and I work with a team on the West Coast who uh, focuses on placing HR professionals with a wide variety of clients. I've been with the company five years. Lucas Group is a 
long-established executive search firm um, established in 1970. Initially, the, the organization focused on uh, helping people uh, who were coming out of the military find civilian work. And that's still a big piece of what we do, but we also have a full-fledged um, you know, executive search uh, team that focuses on everything from IT to legal to accounting and finance. Uh, we have a manufacturing segment, um, sales and marketing, so it's a, it's a national company. The team that I work with is focused on filling HR positions. So we work with clients to identify primarily HR management folks in a wide variety of HR-related, you know, functions. So it could be, you know, vice president of human resources or it could be someone who's, you know, global director of total rewards or head of talent acquisition. Um, but we, we focus on finding, you know, high-quality, what we call transcend, transcendent HR talent for our clients. Well, I'm glad we have you on the show because it's something I've, I've thought about that, you know, it's just an area of maybe difficulty for, for companies and maybe even a difficulty for you in trying to find someone who fits that personality of being, a, you know, a great HR leader but also then has all of the up-to-date sort of certifications and understandings of, of different changes. And then, you know, you may find if someone who's fantastic in Ohio want to move them to California and they may have not any understanding of, you know, the, the vast differences between the two states and yeah. how that might impact yeah. it. Or going from a, you know, multi-state company to a, an enterprise-level company. And so yeah, are there sort of inherent challenges in bringing on a, a great yeah. HR person? Yeah, and those are all factors in each search is, is different. Um, each company's need is different. Like as you said, um, if you're doing business in California, the employment laws here you know, can be much different than in other states. So you need somebody who understands that and knows that. So you know, compliance is certainly a, a piece of what makes for a good you know, HR person, but it's so it's such a broad, interesting field. I know when I first started at Lucas Group, I, I, I had I had an earlier career where I had the um, good fortune of working with many really talented HR folks who were compensation specialists or talent acquisition people or um, organizational development, ex, you know, had that expertise. So I had some sense of it, but when I got to Lucas Group, what was an education for me was just realizing how nuanced HR can be and what a variety of skills uh, an individual needs and an organization needs in many individuals to actually, you know, be able to, to attract and retain and grow the people they need to succeed. So it sounds like there, there are definitely those individual challenges on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, but are there maybe, because you know, we have so many HR folks that listen to this show, are there areas of expertise where you maybe find companies are have some similarities on a regular basis that they're really looking for for HR people that you know, certainly may be something that people want to think about as a focus to make sure they have these competencies you know, as a part of their, you know, sort of things on their resume, you know, are those, those consistent yeah. things that you see on a regular basis that are really foundational for HR people to yeah. have? 
I mean, you mentioned earlier, like, certifications, HR certifications. That's always helpful. You know, SHRM or the Society for Human Resources Management um, now offers, you know, a variety of certifications for HR professionals. HRCI uh, was also, you know, offers a variety of uh, training and certification programs. So those are those are an important indicator of someone having sat down and taken the time to really, you know, dig in and and develop the skills and the knowledge. Um, but I think beyond that, what companies are looking for is people who are business minded, who are have good, strong people skills, you know, emotional intelligence, solid communication skills. Because when it comes down to it, you need to ha- you need to be able to, you know, communicate with a wide variety of people within the organization, and to be somebody who can influence and you know drive uh, excellence and performance, and and really get people engaged and help them do you know what it, whatever it is that they need to do to be successful in that company. So there's a lot of you know, different talents that are needed in the role, and um, I think that's what distinguishes sort of the good from the from the excellent. You know, the really good, and you know, determining that is is a big piece of what we do as you know as recruiters, and also you know help as consultants to our clients. Right, absolutely, because you know those sort of certifications and maybe more objective type things are, are really important. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, I guess anyone can go and, and do that work and study and pass those tests. But some of those softer skills you talked about are, are hugely important mm-hmm. as well. You know, do you have that emotional intelligence? That's, I think, a, a better way of saying it than just being a people person because people, being a people person, you might just be a pleaser, right? You might just want to say yes to everyone. But mm-hmm. the emotional intelligence component to really figure out what's going on and be able to pick up on those things that might be uh, more subtle in those, uh, you know, difficult situations or important situations for a company as they deal with their people is uh, really gigantic. So yeah, uh, I'm glad you kind of really critical. Yeah, it's really you critical. Know, we've all, we've all known situations where you know you're working and there's some sort of you know there's a there's a problem in the group or whatever. And if if those if those human things aren't resolved, then um, sometimes it's hard to achieve you know the work that needs to be done. And so you need somebody that can really sort through that and figure out you know what how to move forward and 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 look out for the interests of the company while also you know, helping somebody develop as an individual employer as a group. Yeah, taking that time to mentor and be a coach and do those other things that are really important to anyone who wants to develop, get better, or move up in the company. And uh, HR is a big, big part of that. You know, I I know one of the things that you have done uh, while with the Lucas Group was offer some blogs and videos about topics like online job hunting and standing out from other job seekers. Uh, you know, for those looking to gain I- employment, what are some of the best ways that you see people can showcase their talents and make themselves more marketable? That's a good question. You know, I, I mean, nowadays technology, of course, has really impacted, you know, job hunting and the way we present ourselves and how we find opportunities, how we apply to a company, 
how we connect with decision makers. So, you know, one thing that people interested in in either getting into the field or advancing their career is just really thinking intentionally about how you know how they come across in sort of the virtual world not just the the actual world but you know what do they have a linkedin profile what does it say about them you know um are they uh discoverable in other uh, you know social media sites and just really thinking that through and being intentional about going after you know the opportunities that they that they desire um, I, th- I think a lot of people still find opportunities through human connection, you know, but now that's facilitated by technology and, um, and, and also by, you know, the, the networks that you're in and, you know, making sure that you're, you're seen as somebody who is, you know, going to be somebody who can advance and um, and take on additional responsibility and sort of move forward with an organization. Well, you bring up a, a really a cool point here because it reminds me of I had this conversation this weekend. I met a friend of mine, brought his girlfriend uh, to an event for the first time and met her. And she said that they met on a dating app, but they uh-huh. actually have a you know large group of similar friends. And they actually had, you know, sort of been around each other before, but it didn't really, nothing had really happened. And so it was this sort of combination of technology, but also that network of friends. So they had what what made it more comfortable and, and possible, I guess, right. was that they had right. similar friends. This wasn't a completely out of the blue two people meeting with, you know, no sort of background or, or ways to, to relate to. And that's probably... A similar story could be told about people who are job hunting. You need to have all the technology and all those things done, but at the same time, you need to, you know, really leverage your the people that you know in your network to to find those really good people connections. Um, That's so exactly that, right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I came to Lucas Group because somebody that had once worked for me had had sub, you know had come to Lucas Group and at some point uh, connected with me and said, you know, would you be interested in this opportunity? And and she made the connection for me. Her name's Merle Vaughn. I'll say her name. But she, you know, it, it that made the difference. Uh, you know, I still had to show up, present, you know, be able to talk about what I thought I could add to the organization and, and how, how I've achieved things in the past and what I might do moving forward. But, um, you know, it was a connection that actually uh, helped get that started. And that's, I think, people maybe tend to push or to sit a little harder on one area instead of maybe making sure that they've got this, you know, kind of all wheels pumping. And that's maybe something that somebody who's at a C-level might think about, that somebody who's in sales might think about. It's not necessarily the first thing that people in other um you know, sort of departments or thought processes may necessarily think about. And I know you've got a kind of past career in sales, so maybe that's why, you know, it's natural for you to kind of think that way. I'm curious, though, what made you decide to really jump from sales into a career that's more focused on recruiting and human resources? Uh, so in 2004, in January 2004, I, I had a long career 
with a legal information company called West. It's now part of Thomson Reuters. And, and as you said, I was at the end of that long career, I was director of sales for the West Coast. But in January 2004, I was asked to move back to Minnesota. Um, the company had moved me from Minnesota to California. And I said I would do it, and it when it came right down to it, I woke up one day and I thought, I just don't want to do this. Um, I had grown up there. I, you know, it's still my second home, but I was, I didn't want to go back. And I think maybe because it was January, that added to it. But I just made a decision that it was time to think about something new. And I had always enjoyed trying to assess and hire and, you know, develop good talent, um, especially as director of sales. I had to figure out who, you know, would be successful in this role and we were selling products and services to lawyers you know? so they needed to be smart people and and uh, you know persuasive people um, and I enjoyed that aspect of what I was doing so um, I applied and landed a job managing a legal recruitment team here in Los Angeles and I did that for seven years before coming to Lucas Group so it was a it, it wasn't a, a, a transition that I had thought out in advance, but it was one that made sense as it developed, and uh, you know I have no regrets. It's been a good a good career change for me. Well, it's fantastic you're able to find something that you know uh, kept your interest and was maybe mm-hmm. allowed you to use a lot of your best skills, but of course maybe challenge you in new ways and get you to think in, in, in new ways and. I think sometimes scare for people is they look to transition um, to different um, you know, to different role that they want to stay with what they're comfortable with or they want to stay with what they know, but yet probably the best thing they could do is maybe take those skills and go to a different industry or go to a different uh, department and, and see what they can do. Uh, it sounds like you've been successful at that. Is there, is there something you might maybe sort of challenge people to think about or, or maybe think about doing if they want to, are looking to actually make that kind of jump? Yeah, you know, I think for me it was it was a change, and yet it was a building upon things that I already knew, a foundation. You know, I was working in and among lawyers. I was working with legal information. I was doing a lot of hiring and, uh, you know, training and motivating employees. Um, and so when I took that first, you know, true recruitment management job, um, it was just another step, um, a, a change of focus, but, but sort of built upon that foundation. So I think when you're thinking about making a change, you need to assess yourself honestly and figure out, you know, what have you done? Who are you? Um, how can you take the skills and the person that you are and apply that to something else? And you know, if you if you put your all your your you know heart and passion and soul into it, um, you can make it work. I know when I came to Lucas Group, the transition there was moving from legal to HR. And I remember when I started here, I thought, well, I was excited because in the first week or two, I picked up three job orders, you know, three jobs that I needed searches that I needed to to do, and. Um, and I was so I, I was happy to to have the work, 
And then I suddenly got nervous about how am I going to find the people to fill this job um, right. because I hadn't worked within the field, you know. And um, and so it was, you know, it, again, it was a learning experience, but it built upon stuff that I already knew. And I, I knew how to talk to people, how to engage people to tell a story. You know, when you're a third-party recruiter, you have to figure out who that client is and what they need and then be able to tell their story to prospective candidates, engage them, get them you know, interested in pursuing that opportunity, and then bring the parties together and manage that whole process. Um, you know, sometimes I tell friends of mine who don't really know, you know, headhunting or executive recruiting, when they when they ask me what I do, I say, you know, sometimes I, I'm sort of a realtor of people. <laughs> you know, it's like I have to get the listing, so to speak. I have to have the job. Right. And, right. and then I have to find the potential, you know, buyers or candidates for that position. So it, oh, it's a real uh, jack-of-all-trades kind of a... Kind of a thing, uh, you know. And I know yeah. we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure I give you that opportunity to sure. uh, tell everyone how they can get a hold of you and how they can learn more about uh, Lucas Group. Sure, you can email me at m johnson michael johnson m johnson at lucasgroup.com. We also have a, a blog site with a lot of great information about you know job hunting and various aspects of of you know career development. It's called your career intel. Um, or you can just go to the Lucas Group website. I have a bio on the Lucas Group website. Uh, I would, you know, welcome any, you know, conversation or connections with uh, anyone who's looking to advance within HR. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. hope everyone will check out the Lucas Group. And uh, we'll be back right after this quick commercial break with our second guest, uh, Jeff Parsons. <laughs> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. Uh, don't forget you can check us out on iTunes, on iHeart, uh, TalentTalkRadio.com. Uh, there's just a billion different little places, I guess, you can find us all over the interwebs. So... Feel free to check us out. Don't forget to find us on Twitter. Uh, pop in your questions. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. And if you got room, put in the at PeopleG2 to make sure my producer Mike finds those questions and we can keep the dialogue going and tag our, our guests in there and get those questions answered. So uh, my next guest is uh, Jeff Parsons. He is the president and CEO of Parsons & Associates. Um, and so, 
That's welcome to the show. Jeff, welcome. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. Really appreciate you being on the show today. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, give us the kind of the brief introduction, and, of course, uh, what your company does. Sure, I'm happy to. First, I'm a, a, an HR professional with 25 years of experience in leading HR functions and supporting business success at uh, site levels, regional levels, and global levels. As with a lot of companies, uh, my last corporate HR uh, role within a company, that company was sold uh, several years ago, and it was my chance to do something I've been wanting to do for quite a long time, and that's start my own HR consulting practice. And so I did that, Parsons and Associates, uh, a few years ago. And we have, we're, we're a boutique firm with four areas of uh, specialties. One is HR consulting slash outsourcing. And so uh, we provide HR consulting services for companies and with, to help them with their policies and their procedures and the employee relations issues, difficult employee um, relations performance issues, that sort of thing. We also provide outsourcing support for those companies uh, that are small to mid-sized and just can't afford or don't need a full-time senior-level HR resource on staff. Um, But that's one area. Another area is organizational development. And I spend the majority of my time, I believe, in this area working with companies to help them improve their organizational performance, uh, their team performance, uh, and that involves leadership development, uh, helping with their cultural transformation, helping them lead change uh, under some other change initiatives. Uh, so that's the organizational development. The third area is career services, uh, and so uh, work with companies to help them uh, recruit great talent. Uh, also work with companies who are in the unfortunate position of having to displace good employees in outplacement, and then work with individuals uh, who don't have the benefit of outplacement support and help them with their uh, interview skills training and their networking skills, uh, resume, cover letter, prep, that sort of thing. And, and then the last area is process improvement. I have someone on my staff who is a lean expert, and uh, and so we also uh, have clients, especially in the healthcare uh, sector, uh, where we're working to help them implement lean in healthcare to improve their, their processes there uh, and to help them. In some organizations, they have lean resources, and so we go in and, and mentor those resources to make sure they're on track and focus on the things they should be focused on. So that's a little bit about me and, and my company. Uh, my uh, main office is in beautiful downtown Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, I, I am a proud Clemson graduate, and, and uh, our team won the national championship last night. So I, I was Yeah, you must be proud. You must definitely must <laughs> be proud. I think, uh, and you know, we're having a little bit of a hard time hearing it. I don't know if the phone is as close to your mouth as it could be, or if you're talking as loud as, as maybe it's as comfortable for you. I want to make sure everyone can hear you. Um, is this better? Sounds like, yeah, that's a little bit better. Perfect. So, okay. you know, I know uh, you mentioned you got 25 years of kind of senior-level experience, and it really sounds like your company kind of spans the gamut there. There's quite a bit of different things that you're doing, you know, from organizational development and business management. So maybe we could talk a little bit about how have the changes in how business function, you know, over those 25 years really changed and how the challenges sort of, you know, morphed and, and, and impacted you in your own personal understanding of leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and it's a great question. It, it has 
it has taught me a lot about the the true essence of, of leadership, and especially working with uh, our uh, corporate uh, leadership team uh, across the globe. You know, in in Asia, Europe, uh, South Central, North America. Uh, I've, I've learned quite a lot. One one thing I've learned is that the true essence of leadership, how important what it is, and and how important and what impact that has on organizational culture and uh, business success. And um, you know, I, I look at an organization's culture, and it's really a manifestation of the leadership style uh, within that organization. And, and so I've learned a lot about that. Uh, the other thing that I've learned is that regardless of whether I'm working with leaders in North America, in Europe, the core principles of leadership are the same. Uh, organizational cultures may be different. Uh, geographic cultures uh, may be different. But the, the core elements of leadership are not constrained by uh, geographic boundaries. So that's what I've learned, I suppose, in the in the 25 years is there are some common, there's some fundamentals of leadership uh, that date back pre-biblical times that have not and and will not change. Uh, the application within a particular organization is dependent upon uh, the uh, the external environment uh, in terms of the geographic culture and the the internal culture of the organization as well. Yeah, I mean, with us all being human, I mean, we all. I get, you're right, it has this sort of basic, you know, mm-hmm. set of needs. We want to feel safe, we want to be appreciated, we want to, you know, feel like we can learn new things. And I mean, yeah, you're right, there's just some very basic things that outside of cultural differences or practices or, or norms that you may find in different places, that to the very core, there's some, some deep similarities. So I appreciate you kind of reminding us of, all, of that. That's a, it's an important thing to remember. Uh, well, yeah, and, no, and if you think about, I'm sorry, but if you think about the, the essence of leadership, uh, you know, leadership uh, is, is simply influence. If you were to do an equation, leadership equals influence. And, and, and that leadership, the effectiveness of that leadership is seen through the eyes of your followers. And, uh, and, and, and that's it in a nutshell. And so once you understand that leadership has nothing to do with title, but it's all about how you're perceived by those people that you're responsible for leading in the right direction. And then it guides, it guides you in the right path, helps you make mm-hmm. the right decisions. Absolutely. Well, I know your company you know, focuses on lots of different areas, from healthcare to manufacturing, construction, and really as an HR consulting firm, you know, when you go to a company that's hired you to help them, I'm sure that there's maybe a few things that you look for to kind of get a, a good handle on before you really dive in. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us some perspective there? On, you know, what are you kind of looking for to start things off to really understand that company that's brought you in? Well, there, there are three areas, really, uh, that I, and, and they're the same from organization to organization. If I go in to help, uh, you know, I, I focus on those areas first, and they will inevitably point me in the right direction. Uh, the first uh, is the organization's retention rate, employee retention rate. Having a low retention rate is almost always problematic, right, and, and indicative of other problems. Uh, and, and so it'll lead you in the direction to explore further in terms of why the retention rate uh, is so low. Are, you know, are there bad hiring practices? Um, 
uh, is, is there a cultural disconnect uh, and, and the employees are not, uh, they at least don't perceive to be treated fairly? Um, you know, is it a compensation issue? What are issues? Is it an unsafe work environment? What are the issues that are driving the low retention rate? So that's the first area. And the high retention rate is most times a positive thing, but not always a positive thing. I've seen organizations that had very low turnover, and they needed some turnover uh, to inject some new ideas, to to more effectively implement change, those types of things. And so a high retention rate typically is a good thing, but I still want to take a look at uh, other areas to make sure, you know, if the organizational performance is suffering and you have low turnover, then perhaps the organization is not managing performance effectively. So yeah, I, I, I've seen some companies come and say, "Yeah, our, you know, we, no, we don't ever lose anybody." That's because they're all C players, and you don't you overpay them, and you don't ever challenge them or make them do anything different. <laughs> you know, right. it's different than if you've you know, got a high performing culture and high retention, right? It's got to be exactly. kind of coupled with something else. That's that's right, and so that's the first thing I look at. The, the second uh, is sort of coupled with the retention rate, and and that's uh, uh, employee uh, performance documentation. So how well does that organization manage performance? Do employees understand what's ex- what, what the expectations are? Are they, are they clearly stated and understood? And then are people held accountable to achieve those expectations? Are there consequences for positive performance? Are there consequences uh, for not so positive performance? Uh, so I take a look at performance documentation, um, performance reviews, uh, any type of uh performance issue, documentation. I take a look at those uh, because that's typically a good indicator of, of that organization and, and how they work with their employees and, and how they feel about performance. And then the third area is I take a look, and I call them areas of cultural disconnect. Uh, I was presenting to a hospice marketing symposium a couple of months ago and, and talked about the disconnect oftentimes uh, within hospices, as an example, but every organization is susceptible to that. We communicate to our employees that we expect them uh, to do this and to do that, but we don't walk that same talk. And so I go in and I take a look at if an organization has a vision statement, a mission statement, key values, or operating principles, whatever they may call them, are they stated, number one? And then if I walk out into the, the organization, if I ask someone what they are, can they tell me? Um, or do I get, you know, 15 different interpretations of what that means? And are we treating our employees the same way we want our employees to treat our customers or our clients or our patients? Uh, and so I look for those areas of cultural disconnect as well because that can also help explain hiring practices. It can help explain uh, retention rates and that sort of thing. So those are the three areas I, I typically look at first. And there's some really important areas. I mean, culture is an area that I'm just fascinated about and love to talk about. And I think we, mm-hmm. we, do, we do so much kind of, you know, kind of diving into that on this show and other things that I do. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, culture shaping and, and maybe change leadership or change management. Or Those are kind of two areas that are sometimes the most difficult ones for leaders within a company to deal with. Mm-hmm. Do you have some kind of ideas on what are the best ways for a company to manage these two areas that are, kind of can be really impactful to company culture? Well, I, well, I think so, and, and certainly uh, these are some areas I work with with my clients. One is what I've just referred to is, is avoiding cultural disconnect. 
And so, and, and, and I'll give you a, a quick example, if you don't mind. And, and so with one of my hospice clients, and, and my wife is, is a hospice professional and has been in hospice for years and, and runs hospices and that sort of thing. So I, I had heard the term, even before I had hospice clients, uh, having a hospice heart. And, uh, and you can interpret that, obviously, being compassionate for the patient and improving their quality of life in, in, in their last days and working with the family to help them all cope and adjust and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and having that compassionate heart, uh, which is a wonderful thing, and not everyone can do that. And so you want to make sure your hiring practices, especially in the hospice as an example, you're hiring people that fit that. Um, and, and, and not just hiring an RN who's a good RN, has good technical skills, but there have to be the behaviors there as well. But in this particular example, you have the administrator of the hospice sitting in a new employee orientation and telling these new nurses and the nurse aides that they, you know, they expect them to have this hospice heart. They finished their orientation. I walked back into the office areas where the administrator sat, and I heard him screaming and yelling, um, you know, and, and, and practically kicking chairs uh, at the uh, director of nursing and and some others because their their census was low. In other words, they didn't have enough patients. Uh, and and so what he was communicating formally was they needed to be compassionate as far as their patients were concerned. But the administrator was not demonstrating that same behavior in working with those employees. And those employees are the front line. And so they're the ones working with the patients, and they're the ones talking about how either wonderful that hospice is or how terrible that hospice is to those patients and those family members. So that's the cultural disconnect, and that's just an example. Any mar- any industry uh, can, can fall into that trap. So how do you want your customers treated? And what are you communicating to your employees day one of their employment? So making sure that you don't have that disconnect, making sure that you walk the talk uh, is, is, I think, very critical as it relates to leading change um, and, and transforming culture. The other is managing performance effectively and understanding the, the role of consequences and making sure that those consequences for good behavior or good performance or poor performance are aligned with your stated values. And and so those are things to think about, and, and it relates to change and leading change. I call it the organization's change credibility factor. And so if, if I am the leader of an organization and I announce this change, what is my level of credibility or what is that organization's level of credibility in believing that I'm serious? and that we will see this through to a successful completion and that we will have the resources in place to make sure that this is uh, people are, are trained in how to do this well and they have the support that they need and they know where to go to get their resources. All those types of things is, is critical. And oftentimes leaders just announce a change, they walk away, and they expect it to happen. And when they come back, they're disappointed because it's not going the way that they, they want it to go. But the more often... You communicate a change, you, you explain, you educate as it relates to the change, provide the resources, and follow it through with celebration and recognition to a successful completion. The next time you announce a change, it will be far easier. And so it's how do you develop and then sustain credibility as it relates to uh, communicating change with your workforce. What you don't yeah. want to hear is, hang on, this too shall pass. 
you know? Yeah, I mean, d- doing nothing is re- is usually not the right approach. Sometimes, but usually <laughs> the letting it sit isn't going to work. I mean, it always reminds me of, like, being on a sports team where they used to say, you know, your weakest player, the weakest link is, is kind of where you're at. I mean, if, you know, right. you can't. You can't hide hide something or someone forever. So you need to deal with it. You need to be uh, your best in every way you can in, in all all parts. Um, because you can be, because when you use a sport analogy, when you use baseball, you got to be great hitters. But if you can't play defense, or if your outfield stinks, or you have no pitching, or whatever, you're not going to do very well. Um, That's right. So organizations really need to look at, yeah, as you said being their best and, and carrying through with the things they value uh, in all instances, in all parts, not just with the client or not just with the employee and not just with vendors and not just with, you know, your investors or whoever it may be. you got to do with everybody, right? It's got to be across the board and you got to live it and breathe it every every moment you can if, if you really want everyone else to do it too. Uh, well, it, it, that's right. And, and it really boils down to, and, and you hear this HR buzzword, but in, in employee engagement and how engaged is your workforce. And most organizations try to engage their employees at the wrong level. They, they, they attempt to engage the employee's mind. You know, work smarter, not harder. We want your suggestions. We don't want you to park your brain at the door. All those types of things. And, and that just communicates that we're, we're wanting to engage your brain. And those organizations fail to recognize that that's an impossible thing to do until you engage that person's heart and that they feel that there's a, a purpose and that I can feel that there's a purpose in this and that, and that there's a driving reason for me to do the things that you're asking me to do and that I'm bought in to where we're headed and, and what we want to do. And if you can engage my heart, I'll think on my own. You don't have to work to engage my mind. I'll do that on my own if, if I'm engaged if you engage me at the heart. But the most organizations try to engage the mind and, and forget the heart. Well, I love the way you put that. That's a just a great way to kind of put it that, you know, looking at uh, that. I mean, we very often, I think, uh, assume people uh, think, uh, make their decisions on logic, that we are, we all like to, to believe that we're going to make that our decisions based on facts. And, and yet, if you look at what's happening in the world, it's pretty much a, a giant case study telling you that's not the case, that we make emotion, decisions emotionally and we want, uh, right. you know, our way and we want to think about things. And then we try to put logic on top of it to justify those decisions. Um, but well, that's right. To, and, to your and, point, and if, it's if, your heart, and, right? And I'm sorry. That's right. And if you're engaged at the heart, you will actually listen to what the other person has to say and and, and, and be willing to try something differently. If you fail to recognize that that person doesn't see an overriding purpose in, in doing this, then, then why would they do anything any differently? It's human nature not to actually do anything any differently and, unless there's some compelling reason uh, for them to believe that it's the right thing to do. And we just miss that oftentimes uh, as leaders. Especially if you're not an HR or not maybe trained and already thinking in, the, in this way, if you're uh, somewhere else, we definitely see those mistakes happening all the time. It's it's. Uh, it's yeah. a fascinating kind of repeat of, of history within organizations over and over again. And I guess it's our job as uh, kind of being in this, uh, the people-related businesses to to do our best to, to, I guess, to shine a light on that and try to help people to be better there. I, I believe so. And, and also to keep in mind that no matter what your stated performance objectives are and, and where that bar is 
you're actually managing to your lowest level performer. Uh, and, and so uh, a lot of organizations fall victim to that and that they don't effectively address performance issues. And some of those are driven by uh, poor hiring practices, poor hiring decisions, uh, not understanding the type of culture that you want to drive and create and what type of employee it's going to take to help you do that. And we make bad hiring decisions, and the cost of bad hiring decisions you know, can be significant. Absolutely. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests, and we're almost out of time here, but I want to make sure I ask you these last two questions. Uh, and the first is, is there a book that you're reading right now or that you recently read that you might share with us? Well, there's one that I'm uh, about to finish, and uh, t- to help me is self-improvement for myself, and, and that's better understanding the millennials. You know, you see so much out there now about millennials, the, the generation Zers, I suppose, uh, but this book is called Bridging the Soft Skills Gap, and it's by the author is Bruce Tolgan. Uh, and, and the book is it's, it's a great piece, and, and the premise is that the millennials are hired into organizations because they're very intelligent, and they're hired for their hard skills, their technical skills, whatever. Uh, but those hard skills, they're hired for those skills. Most of them, when they lose their jobs, they lose their jobs, they're, they're fired because of a lack of effective soft skills. And so they've learned, you know, they've, they've gone to school and, and they have superb technical skills or hard skills. But what they haven't developed compared to some past generations or haven't developed as well, and this is a generalized statement, of course, but in general, are those soft skills. You know, they're you know, using text messages, using all the social media, you know, all these things. But looking someone in the eyes and having uh, a forthright performance discussion or uh, talking about career or succession uh, or, you know, working effectively as a team, um, those, those soft skills, the ability to, you know, those interpersonal skills, the ability to work cross-function, those are the areas that are getting the millennials in trouble in general, uh, those soft skills. And, and so the book uh, certainly emphasizes the need for developing those soft skills for the millennials uh, with some tips on, on how to do that. So that's what I'm reading right now. I'm enjoying it. Sounds like a great book for us to check out. Uh, I'm sure our listeners mm-hmm. would love to add that to their uh, possible reading list. And last question is, is um, you know, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about uh, Parsons & Associates if they're interested in working with you, for you, or learn, just learning more about you? Well, and, and I appreciate that question. Uh, first of all, we have clients uh, representing all regions of the U.S. Um, and uh, a couple of offices, one in South Carolina and, and one in Boston, and with expansion plans a little further south, uh, west, actually, in, in late 2017, early 2018. We have clients from all the regions uh, and representing healthcare manufacturing, uh, construction. But to learn more about uh, me and my company and my staff uh, and getting contact information, you can simply go to my website, uh, and that's at customizedhr.com. So C-U-S-T-O-M-I-Z-E-D-H-R, customizedhr.com, um, and it has all of my office contact information. Uh, or you can email me directly at jeff.parsons, with an S, at customizedhr.com. 
Well, uh, Jeff, thanks again for being on the show today and joining us. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Michael as well for joining me here on Talent Talk. Um, that's about all the time we have for today's show. Hopefully you've gained something that will help you in your own career in a positive way. Next week, my guests will include Hans Downer, the president and CEO of uh, Savvy Docs. And then uh, also we'll have Stephanie McVeigh, the CEO and founder of Strategic Incentive Solutions. So until, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.